Chris last night. We got together last night, and I was telling him I, I dug up a bunch of trees and stuff that way, and I guess I'm getting old. He, you know, I did all this manual physical labor, and the ground was so hard that I was had a hard time getting the shovel to go in the ground, and I finally got those trees out, and two days later, I got real stiff and sore in my legs, and I'm so old and senile, I forgot why I got sore. <laughs> Uh, it only gets worse. Thanks, Shorty, for that encouragement. <laughs> oh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today and we, we give you thanks first and foremost for your son, Jesus. It's through him that we have fellowship one with another as brothers and sisters because of the great love and the sacrifice that he made for us, his life, his death, and more than that, his resurrection. Uh, we have power to live a different way. So, Father, as we come today to study your word and, and how we should live, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us today, each every, and every man, woman, and child in this room, that they might know that, that God loves them and he has a plan and a purpose for their lives. And that plan and that purpose is that through him, through them, he might be glorified. So, Lord, then I just pray that through this teaching today that we would come to understand and know that our responsibility is to live lives that's worthy of you father so i just pray that uh, as we leave this place today that we might walk out of this place with a new understanding of what it means to live a life of grace so we just ask you lord to come come lord jesus have free reign in this building and in this place and in the hearts and minds of each and every one of us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be studying and teaching out of Titus chapter 2. And the theme for this day is, is role models. We're all called to be role models. It doesn't matter where we're at in our Christian walk. We all can be an example to somebody. Amen. We all have that that. that uh, that ability to do that because God's Holy Spirit gives us that ability. You know, and much like we've been studying in, in First and Second Timothy, now we're moving into Titus, we see similar epistles to these, these two early young church leaders and pastors. Um, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to, to bring about order and, and to, to set up church leadership and and do things like that there and to combat the false teachers that were coming in well in the same way he's asked titus he left titus behind on the island of crete for much the same reason and the same purpose you see a lot of parallels between what paul wrote to, to timothy and what paul wrote to titus on on crete and you know i, I would say that that if, if you read chapter one and we're going to be starting in chapter two but if you look in chapter chapter one of titus especially down around uh, uh, verse 12 paul's telling uh, titus about what kind of people he's going to be going up against and in verse 12 of chapter one it says even one of their own men a prophet from crete has said about them the people of crete are all liars cruel animals and lazy gluttons now how would you like to go and set up a church there with those kind of people but that's what uh, uh, titus is his, uh, his, his command and his, his uh, appointment was to be about. 
And uh, he's also, he, he warned them in the last few verses of, of uh, Titus chapter, chapter 1 that, that he says that, that there's those false teachers in there that you have to, d- to deal with. He said, such people claim that they know God, but they deny him in, by the way that they live, and they are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And I'm coming out of the uh, New, Transla- New Living Translation, if it looks a little different, and here, it sounds a little different from what you're used to. Uh, I got this Bible for Christmas a couple years ago, and, and it's one that we used when we were doing the recovery classes, and it's easy to understand, and it's in kind of modern-day terms, and so I, I'm, I've been going through different translations. I like to, to, to compare translations and what the meanings are, and, and really, as we're studying in Titus chapter 2, I like the way that, that, uh, that Paul's charge to Titus is worded here, and, and you know, and, and this is really... It's, it's, it's teaching people, he's, he's charging Titus to teach different groups of people on how they should, should live and what they should do to be role models within the body of believers. You know, and, and it's a very powerful chapter, and, and as I was looking through this, I got a lot of ground to cover in a very short time. I could probably do at least a dozen sermons just on chapter 2 of Titus. And back in the early 1800s, in the early 19th century, there was a, a biblical commentator by the name of Adam Clark, and he said this about chapter 2 of Titus. He said, few portions of the New Testament excel this chapter. It may well form the creed system of ethics and textbook of every Christian creature. Does any man inquire what is the duty of a gospel minister? Send him to the second chapter, chapter of the epistle of Titus for a complete answer. That's pretty powerful words, and I don't know that I would go as that far to say that it's a creed system of ethics and the textbook for every Christian creature, but it would do well for us to learn and to follow these examples that he's setting for, for Titus to teach. So let's just look at that, and, and we just, I just read you the first the last couple of verses in chapter one, chapter 1 of Titus, and it says that these people who were false teachers, and I'm going to share what he's talking about there. You remember in, 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 in Paul's letters to, to, Titus, or to, to Timothy that he was talking about these, these uh, he called them the circumcision group, remember? He, that these Jewish people, these Jewish leaders were trying to, to entice new believers to become Jews before they became Christians. He wanted them to follow Jewish law and they wanted them to, be, to get circumcised, to abstain from certain foods and not marry certain people and all that. But you know, we have this new covenant by the blood of Jesus that in a new way of living, and, it's, and it does away with that. It's not by works, but it's by faith, amen? So that's what, what this is all about, and that's what they were doing, and, and a lot of these people were making money by the teachings that they were bringing about, and uh, that's what Paul is teaching them against, or telling Titus to, to, uh, to, uh, to, t- to teach against that kind of thing. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this in the New Living Translation, and I'll tell you what, I might confuse you guys. My notes... My notes are in the New International Version, but my Bible's in the New Living Translation. So it says here that in chapter 1 in the New Living Translation, and that's what I like about it. Just listen to the words, how, and I'll explain different here in a minute. It says, as for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. And in the New, living, or the New International Version, it says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Okay. In the New Living Translation, it says we need to 
to, to, to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. You know, sound doctrine is that. It's wholesome teaching. And matter of fact, when what we learned in, in Matthew 28, what we, what we call the Great Commission, the 28, 18, it says that, that you know, that Jesus said, therefore go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 20 it says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. That's sound doctrine. It's biblical teaching. Teach them what, all, everything that I've commanded you. Teach them those things. And that's what, what, what Paul is instructing Titus to do. And it says here in verse 2 that we're to teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. Then it says this, they must have sound faith, be filled with the love and patience. There's a whole bunch of sermons right there, amen? There's a whole lot of things you could talk about right there. But what really struck me is when T Paul had instructed Timothy to teach the old men these things, it was clearly evident that those things were lacking in the old men in Crete, right? Not everybody who is old is mature. Not everybody who is old is wise. But he's telling them that they need to, he's going to have to, in love, teach these older men how to live in order to be worthy of respect. Right? Sometimes old men want to be, you know, they want, they want to demand respect. But by the way they live, they haven't really earned the respect. Amen? Teach them self-control. You're going to hear that word self-control a lot in these, in these groups that we're, he's to teach. But they're supposed to be uh, to exercise self-control and be worthy of respect, to live wisely. Ephesians 5.15 tells us that we're to be, to be very careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, because why? The days are evil. We don't want to give Satan a foothold in our lives, so we have to be very careful in what we do and what we say, you know, to, to live self-controlled lives. And it says in verse 3, similarly, teach the old women, older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. You know, in the Greek culture at that time, older women were characterized as being gossips and drunkards. And in here, Paul tells, us, tells them that they shouldn't be slanderers. In the early translations of that word slander, translates to devil. And what, what the implication is that when older women who in that culture, a lot of them were pretty idle and they had time, so they would sit around in groups and they would gossip and, and talk and, and some of, and, and I think it was in First Timothy when we were talk, listening to about, you know, Paul's warnings that, that they, were, they were spreading the, the, the false teaching that the Judaizers were bringing about. They were doing that. So it's not too far of a stretch to think as, as somebody who's gossiping and slandering and, and sharing and spreading false teaching as doing the work of the devil. Amen? Can you, can you make that jump? That's kind of what, what, what that's all about. And the heavy drinking. You have to understand, 
Titus was on an island. He was on Crete. Sometimes the water quality wasn't all that great there, so people drank wine. When you drink wine, sometimes you might drink too much of it. Sometimes you might be a slave to the drink. And that's what he's warning and and teaching uh, Titus to teach the old women that they shouldn't become. I think in some translation, maybe in your translation, it says become slaves to drink or slaves to wine. Is that what it says in some of y'all's translations? But anyhow, there was a, in that culture and on that island, in that, in that time, it was very easy for people to get caught up and to be overcome by addiction of, of alcohol, just much like it is today, you know. They become slaves to something that started out that they just partook in a little bit, but then it became something that controlled them. It says there, but instead they should teach others what is good. So you see, Titus is to teach people how to teach. He's to teach the old men how to, 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 to be role models for the younger men. He's teaching these older men now, or these older women now, to teach what is good. And in verse 4 it says, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands, and then they will not bring shame on the word of God. There's a whole lot of teaching there too, amen? But look who's to do it. It's not Titus teaching the young women, it's the older women teaching the younger women. Now why is that? Pretty sound doctrine, right? A young unmarried man shouldn't be, put himself in in a position where he might be enticed by a younger woman. You know, that's one of the reasons why a lot of ministers won't meet one-on-one with, with young women, right? It's not good. There's a lot of things that can go wrong very quickly. You get emotionally attached, and then that leads to other things. We've seen it happen time and time again in ministry, amen? So he's telling Titus, you let the older women teach the younger women how to do these things. And what should they teach? They should be uh, teaching them how to live wisely and to be pure, to, to love their husbands and their children. One of the highest duties of, of, of young women, marriage age women, was to take care of their household. The highest form of, of, of womanhood in, in, in that Greek culture at that time was for women to be good managers of their homes. You know, matter of fact, the very highest level was, was a woman that really very rarely left her house because she was managing her, her household, you know, and, and then, of course, you know, it was a lot stricter back in those days, and, and uh, they might run into an unmarried man that wasn't a relative. That was the, the, the thing that they were afraid of. So they, they stayed in their homes, and they, and they took good care of their children. They were good managers of their households, and it says that they were to live wisely and to be pure, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Boy, that's a hard one for some of you, you ladies, isn't it? In this day and age we live in today, hmm, that's kind of, <laughs> one commentator that I saw says, submission in today's culture is almost like a four-letter word. It's something you don't want to talk about. It's something that brings offense to some folks. But you have to understand and realize what 
what this is. It's not that the young women and the wives only being about being submissive to their husbands. It's about being submissive to God. Ephesians 5.21 tells us that, that everybody should be submission in the submission to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. We should, should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, wives, future wives, let me just say this. Most generally, most guys didn't go into marriage fully equipped to be spiritual leaders of their household and fully ready to be subject or, 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 or honored and, and, and submitted to in that way. They didn't ask for that. That was the role that God himself placed on them. Ephesians 5.25, I think it says that as, as husbands are the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the, his church, he should what? Give himself to her as Christ did for the church. He gave himself up for her. Husbands are to submit the way that God submitted, or Jesus submitted to the Father and gave his life on the cross for us. They lay down, the husband are to lay down their lives for their wives and their children and their family. That way they are worthy to that for that submission. They may not be where you think they need to be. And most women are more, I would say, I'd go out on a limb and say most women in a, in a church setting are more spiritually mature and, and more spiritually, biblically knowledgeable than their husbands are. And that shouldn't be, brothers, but it is. I'm just telling you the truth. My wife, she prayed for me for 19 years before I came to the Lord. She was, she had taken on the role that I should have. She was the spiritual leader of our home. She's the one, and my grand, or my, my mom, my, my kid's Grammy, Donna Gentry, were the ones who trained my children in godliness. And if it hadn't been for them, women, training my sons how to be godly men, I wouldn't be here today because it was through my sons that I came back to faith in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. But it was turned around. In today's society, it's turned around. Women have taken on the role because men wouldn't as spiritual leaders in their house in a lot of places. Men, we got to step up. We want women to be submissive to us. Then we meet, need to be the kind of men who lays down our lives and submits to our wives and submits to God the way that he intended. I ain't going to say no more about that. Holy Spirit, bring conviction where it needs to be brought. Amen. And I'm getting my toe stepped on right about now, too. But it says that, that if the husband or the wives would, would do these things, these young women would do these things and are taught to do these things, then they won't bring shame on the Word of God. And I think it, uh, let me look at my NIV notes here. And it says in the NIV that so that no one will malign the word of God. See, back in those, in, in, on the island of Crete, there were a lot of people who were ungodly who were watching the Christians to see how they lived. And they would see somebody not living according to the way that they were talking. You know, their walk didn't, didn't quite match up with their, their talk, so they would malign 
or, or bring shame upon the word of God. They weren't living the way that they were supposed to live. Does that make sense to you all? That's what was happening. And then here in the verse chap, chapter 6, verse 2, it, it talks about the young men. In the same way, encourage young men to live wisely. And I think in the New International Version it says, teach the young men to live in self-control. There's that word self-control again. Why would you want to teach young men to live lives that are self-controlled? Because young men need to live lives in self-control. Young men, because I, I can barely remember, but I was one once. And I, I have a godly uncle who was a pastor for many years, and he served the Lord, and he's just an awesome guy. And when he spoke at my mother's funeral, he talked about me and my younger brothers and how we grew up. And he called us wild billy goats. <laughs> and I don't know if you all been around a, 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 a billy goat before, but they're pretty ornery. I mean, we need to be self-controlled. We have... A lot of testosterone and adrenaline running through our veins and we we are very impetuous and we do things we probably ought not do we don't think about sometimes what we're supposed to do and what we should do we just do what we feel like doing and sometimes that gets us in trouble right Nathaniel where'd he go <laughs> my sons were my own <laughs> I'll just say that Thank you, Lord. But young men need to be taught to be self-controlled, to show restraint in a lot of different areas. The testosterone and the adrenaline junkie, and when we enter into the, to the noticing the young ladies, then we need to show restraint and self-control. And we need to teach the young people that there's a time and a place for romantic encounters with the other sex, right? And we are to teach our young men to honor those young ladies with respect and with dignity and with love and charity. That's what we're to teach the young men. And he says this in verse 8, that Titus himself, is to set an example here. It says, teach the truth. Whoop, let me see here. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach yourself. Yourself. You set the example. You be a role model. And I think that's a good good verse and a life verse for each and every one of us, isn't it? That we also be that kind of person. That we ourselves be an example for those who are coming up in the faith by what? Doing good works of every kind. And we let everything that we do reflect integrity and the seriousness of the teachings that we hold fast to. We walk the walk just as we talk the talk. Because there's a whole lot of people out in that world out there that have heard people who proclaim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ whose lives don't reflect, reflect that truth. And they 
there again, malign the Word of God. We're all to be role models. Titus was encouraged to be a role model. In verse 8 it says, teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. You know, I remember a time when I was a young man and and uh, my mom and dad were divorced and my stepdad and I, we butted heads almost daily. And I remember going to my grandfather. My grandfather was, in my growing up years, was my best friend. He was my hero. And I really, I wanted to spend as much time with him as I could. And I remember after a severely harsh encounter I had with my stepdad and we, it was bad. And I just went up to my grandfather's to live for a while. And I told my granddad, I didn't want to go back home. I said, there's nothing that I can do in his eyes that's right. He watches me like a hawk just to make sure that I'm going to make a mistake. And then he's going to tell me about it. You know, and I thought my grandfather would bring me comfort and say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Bradley. You know what my grandfather told me? He said this, and it stuck with me my whole life. He said, Bradley Joe, don't you give him the opportunity and the satisfaction of being right about you. Don't give him the opportunity and the satisfaction of being right about you. When he tells you you're not worth nothing and you will never amount to nothing and you're no good for nothing, teach him and show him that he's wrong by the way that you live. That was stuck with me, and that's kind of, I think, what, what, what Paul is telling Titus here. Let your life be above reproach. Let not, nobody will have anything bad to say about you. Let those who oppose us be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. That's a good word right there. Verse number nine talks about slaves. And in that culture, in the early first century, I read somewhere that nearly a third of the population were slaves. I think in some translation it talks about bond servants. And a bond servant was someone who, who chose to freely give his life up to serve his master. I think in the early Hebrew, Hebrew uh, times that that if somebody loved their master and wanted to serve him for the rest of their lives, that they would go before the court and, and they would take an awl and they would pierce the ear of the bondservant as a sign of his, of his obedience and, and his dedication to, to his master. Paul says that he was a, is a bondservant to Christ. They willingly gave up their lives in order to serve their master. We should be bondservants of Christ ourselves, amen? But it says, slaves must always obey their masters and to do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. In, in that early Greek culture, masters just took it 
that their slaves were going to be lazy. They were going to talk back. They were going to be thieves. They were going to steal things when they could. They just took that as a given that it was going to happen. You know, that was, that was just part of their slaves. You know, that was what they were going to do. But Paul's telling Titus to teach them to be witnesses for Christ in the way that you live and that you could be trustworthy. And then it says that, you know, then they will, be, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. And I think one of the, one of the translations here, I think it's in the New King James Version. I don't know. I had a lot of different translations I was looking at. It says that by their, the way that they live, they would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in everything that they do. Our lives are to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in everything that we do. You ever think about that? that, that I saw that and I thought, well, that's, that's kind of cool that our, our lives are to be ornaments on the tree of grace. God took something that was dirty, my life, that was dirty, that was not beautiful, that was not clean, and he turned it into something that he could use. I think about that song I hear on the K-Love all the time. It talks about, look what you've done in my life. Talking about God and how God changed this little girl and made her into something beautiful, and that she felt beautiful. And I was talking to a brother yesterday, and you know, I knew. Yeah, he he showed up on my doorstep, and he had a bad reaction with some of the drugs that he had taken, and and we were both scared. That was the first time I'd ever dealt with anything like that. But I loved this man, and uh, he had struggled for addictions, and and you know, he kind of kept it under his hat and. He didn't want anybody to really know, and then when this happened, it was, of course, we went to the emergency room, and his parents were, were, were frightened, and we talked, and he had finally decided he was going to get into rehab. And his parents were related, and I remember his mom just having tears of joy running down her face because her son had finally admitted that he had a problem and was willing to seek help. And through the process, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but through that process, that man was changed. He went from being an addict to being a godly husband and a godly man and a trusted friend. It wasn't always easy, but his life is an adornment to the grace of God. I'm so proud of him. He's here today. But look what God done. Amen. Look what God done. And in some of you all's lives, it's the same story. God has taken what the world would deem unfit, and he's turned it in and made your life something beautiful. And you adorn God's grace with your life and the way you live today. And some of those people that knew you from the past, they don't hardly recognize you in the way you live today. Oh, your face might look the same, and they might be able to recognize that, but your whole life and your heart's been changed from the outside in, or the inside out. Amen? Look what God done. 
And that is attractive, brothers and sisters, to people who are struggling out there right now with, with addictions and all kinds of problems and who feel unloved. That's attractive. Your life has meaning and it has value and you are a witness to the world about the goodness and the grace of our God and our Savior. Don't ever discount your, your story, your testimony, because it's meant to change somebody's life, and it will. It will. And in verse 12, Paul writes this, and it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. To all people. He's no respecter of persons. He don't care where you've been, what you've done. He loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you, that you might be empowered by his spirit to live a different way. And we were instructed to turn from godliness, godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward to the, with, with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed when he comes back again. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Totally committed to doing good deeds. You know, and as I was thinking about that, I was reminded, you know, talking about how God's grace changes us. You know, and I think it's in the New, New Living Translation. <clears throat> and it says that for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us or trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How many of you caught that? That grace teaches us, grace trains us to live godly lives. You know, I think about grace a lot of times, and I think about Romans chapter 6, verse 1, right, where, where sin abounds, grace increases all the more. You know, I think about grace as being mercy and forgiveness. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is that new heart that God puts on in every believer. Grace is his spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit that's guiding us, that great comforter that's teaching us a new way to live. He brings conviction. Let me hear, let me tell you, not condemnation. He brings conviction on the things that we do that we need to change in our lives. But he does not bring con con condemnation. Condemnation means that there's no way out, done, finished, finito. You might as well lay down and die. Con con conviction brings about an opportunity to change, to repent, to turn away from the things that we do that's not pleasing to God, to do things that is pleasing to God. Does that make sense? Grace trains us to live godly lives. And grace has appeared to all men. I was... Uh, reminded of a, a story about a guy that's on the radio and he's a common he's a Christian comedian and he's on the on some of the Christian radio stations his name's Ken Davis and he's got a program called lighten up 
and he's usually got a little funny little thing that he shares, you know, maybe a little one-minute thing on the radio, but one day, what I heard him speak about brought tears to my eyes and brought conviction to my heart. And he shared a story about, as a younger man, he was trying to fit in, and he was always trying to please people by being funny. And sometimes he would be funny at other people's expense. And he was at church camp. And while he was at church camp, you know, he was cutting up with his buddies and, and making them laugh, and, and that was how he was fitting in. But there was this little boy there. His name was Bernie. And Bernie had some disabilities. He had a speech impairment that he slurred his speech, and he was slow in his steps. And Ken said that I made fun of him and mocked him and mimicked him the way he walked and the way he talked amongst my friends to get a laugh. And he said, we did this at, his, at Bernie's expense. And the very last day of camp, he said, Ken Davis said that him and his buddies were all, had their little suitcases and they were getting ready to board the buses to go home. And off in the distance, he heard Bernie's voice in his slurred speech and he was saying, And he ran up to their group and he got in the middle of the circle there and he said, good news, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And then he ran and he screamed, good news, good news, and he wanted to share his story. And he, Ken Davis said, in that moment, I understood what grace was all about. That God's grace appeared to all men. It doesn't matter if we're the greatest thinkers or the smartest people or the strongest athletes or the most wealthy or the prettiest. God's grace is for all people. And he said, Bernie learned something that people with the highest IQ have never, have never experienced before. God loves each and every one of you. That's the good news. That's the sound doctrine, that he came and he died for you. Just where you are right now in your life, whether you're struggling with addiction, whether you're struggling in your marriage, whether you're, you, you feel like you're inadequate, that you don't have anything to offer God or anybody else for that matter, the blood of Jesus screams out that you are. You are. God loves you enough to send his own son that if you would just believe and trust in him that you would not only have eternal life that you would have life and to the full here that your worth is not determined by worldly standards or worldly men your worth is determined by the love of god that's where your worth comes from that's the teaching that we need to share with others and that's the way we should live our lives that men might know that who we belong to by the way that we live and the way that we love we ladies and gentlemen are to become role models for those out in the world for the new believers and those who have yet to believe that their gospel might look attractive to them.
that they would want to be a part of the family of God who loves everybody, no matter what their station in life is. In verse 15, it says, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. You have the authority to correct them when necessary, and don't let anybody disregard what you say. Paul gave his authority to Titus to do the things that he needed to do. And Paul's authority came from God. Your authority comes from God. Amen. So let me ask you, are you role models for God today? Are you teaching people what it looks like to serve the Lord with all your heart, your mind, and your strength? Do people look at you and the way that you live and know that you're a follower of Jesus? I pray that, that I would be that kind of a person that God's called me to be. Because I fall short, I'm telling you right now. I'm preaching to me when I'm up here today. This really hit me hard. Because sometimes I don't set the greatest example. I fall short. And I want to be that kind of a guy that people will say, by the way he lives, he's a Christian. Amen. And if you're here and you feel like maybe you've not given him 100% also, it's easy to remedy. We just confess it to the Lord. We say, Lord, I know I'm not where I need to be. So, Father, would you just, in your goodness and your mercy and, and by the strength of your Holy Spirit, would you empower me to be your guy? to be your man, that people might know that I truly am a follower of Jesus. And Father, empower me to be that kind of a man that my life wouldn't bring shame upon your word. Lord, as we prepare to take communion today, we remember that you didn't hold anything back to us that you gave your only son that we might have life. And the blood that he poured out and the body that was, was broken for us brings us peace and it brings us healing. But more than that, it brings us into a right relationship with you. And through that right relationship, you give us a new heart and you empower us by your Holy Spirit to do things that we couldn't do in our own strength. It gives us power to overcome those things that control us. So Lord, I just pray that as we begin to take communion today, that we would reflect on your goodness and your love for us. And Father, that your spirit, that your grace would teach us as we leave this place today, how to live in a new way, to be a light of the world. And if there's one here today or a couple here today that that know that they're not where they need to be with the Lord in their relationship, 
I just pray that you would you could either come down here and I'd love to pray for you or you can just raise your hand and people around you will will surround you and pray with you as well because no matter what the most important thing in this world is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ we love you but he loves you more than we can even ask or imagine so father I just pray as we open up this time of reflection and we offer this invitation that your Holy Spirit would fall on this place and and father that we would be receptive to your calling on our lives we thank you we love you and Lord do we just pray that you would use us to be role models for fellow believers and father that that the that the way that we would live would be attractive to those who don't know you yet and we ask it all in the name of Jesus amen there are communion elements set up on the four corners of the room we invite you to come